0: And several, several weeks ago, we uh, months ago actually, we said, let's make May a month of prayer for our church. And so we're 20 days into May, and I trust that you've been seeking the Lord in a special way during this month. Um, like you, you know, I've, I've gotten distracted at times and, and probably uh, not did all that I wanted to do in my pursuit of God. But like God often does... He's been full of grace. And so I want to invite you to the last 10 days of May to partner with us and pray together. Over on the table over there, there's a calendar. It looks like this, okay? This is laid out by our our prayer team just with some prods for how you can be praying, some places you can go in Scripture, some groups that are meeting every day of the month. There's a group of people that meet together, a part of Central Bible Church, and praying together. Invite you to those those opportunities. They're good times of connection with the Lord. Each week, we've also kind of had a special emphasis that we wanted to kind of point you towards. And this week, I want to explain a little bit. It says lay, the laying on of hands. Now, what is that? What is that? Last week was fasting. Okay, I don't know if you spent any time last week. Uh, just a special time of dedicating a, a, a regular meal time to prayer. Like last week, you should get a Facebook post like any minute, okay? Your, your phone's gonna ding in just a minute. And it's an article about what it means to lay your hands on somebody and pray. So what do we mean by that? Honestly, this is just a, an opportunity for you to express intimacy with somebody in a, in a very appropriate way. Now, I wanna encourage you to, to look for opportunities. God is faithful. He'll give you an opportunity this week. If you're asking... You look for an opportunity this week for somebody to just bear their heart with you, to just share, this thing is going on in my life. And listen, if it's appropriate, and I trust that you have the ability to make that decision, if it's appropriate, just you know, say, hey, can I, can I pray with you? And put your hand on their shoulder. Or, or, or just hold their hand. Or if it's somebody you know, you might put your arm around them and just, just pull them in close and just, just pray with them. The whole idea is to invite you to invite somebody else into your intimacy with God and to pray together. And to pray together. We're gonna pray together in just a minute. And there's two people that are on my heart right now this morning, and there's probably many others. But um, this past week, over the last few, maybe a couple of weeks, but we've had two individuals who have lost somebody really close to them. I see Casey over here. We need to pray for Casey as uh, she lost her dad um, just over a week ago and then Gaynor Hearn. I don't see Gaynor. She's probably counting the offering, um, but she lost her, her brother uh, this week. And so I don't know if you've experienced that before. To lose a loved one is tough. It's tough. And what happens is the, the funeral and all that kind of stuff like that, that fills up your life for a few days And then that ends, and listen, you need people then. You need people who reach out to you, encourage you, pray for you. You need people so reach out to one another. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you that we can approach you boldly because of Jesus Christ. You invite us to your throne. We don't understand that, Lord, because as humans, we are respecters of person. That's not your way, Lord, You invite us all into your presence because in Christ, we are your children. We are your sons. We are your daughters. And Lord, with a loving hand, you reach out to us and call us to your side. Lord, we come now on behalf of our friends and of our our family. We lift up Casey. We lift up Gaynor to you, Lord. Be a comfort to them I pray, Lord, that we would come around them and show them love. Father, I pray that as we open up your word here in just a moment, Lord, that the spiritual battle that goes on around your word, Lord, in that battle, you'd be victorious. You would be the warrior for our soul. Lord, and give us insight into your word and into your person and into the finished work of Jesus at the cross. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, when you came in, you probably saw in the corners of the room, there's four tables. And if you've been with us any amount of time, you know, all oh, it's communion week, and it is. We celebrate communion or the Lord's table or the breaking of bread or the, the love feast or, or the Eucharist, there's all, the, there's all kinds of terms people use for this, we celebrate this here at Center Point every other month. Did you know that? Every other month. I can never keep it straight myself, OK? But it's every other month, and I usually get a text from our office administrator saying, "Well, remember, next week is communion." And I'm like, "Oh, that's right. That's right." So I thought, as we move into that celebration of the finished work of Christ today, that we just take a pause, just take a moment and stop from what we normally do during this time and talk about what does the Lord's table mean, and what does it represent. Now, if you're new with us, what we usually do during this time is we work through books of the Bible. Okay, that's what we do here at Centerpoint Bible Church. We start in a book of the Bible at verse number 1-1, and we go through the end. And we have just wrapped up the book of Ephesians, so it's a great time. It's a great time for us to kind of do something a little different this morning, and that's exactly what we're going to do. So this morning we're going to talk about communion and what does that mean. And listen, I'm going to challenge you today from God's word. I'm going to challenge you. I expect many of us to have moments of repentance in our conversation today. I have in preparation for this time. I've had to go to the Lord with my own lack of regard for what this represents. I expect you To walk that same walk today. And at the end of our service today, we're going to celebrate and worship God through the Lord's table in the way that He directed us to. And I trust that it'll be a meaningful time of worship. See, what I find is this reality plays out all the time, and that is that familiarity breeds contempt. Have you heard that before? Let me illustrate it this way. You guys might have, men- you might have heard me mention before that I like to float in canoes. Maybe I've mentioned that like every other week, okay? I want to tell you about a canoe trip that I went on one time. See, I grew up in a part of West Virginia where we would float the south branch of the Potomac, right, Stephen? Okay, we would float. The, the, it was called the trough, all right? And it was one of the things that I did with my dad many, many times, My dad was a great father to me in that way, much better than what I've done. He took us many times through the trough. I've floated the trough with my dad. I've floated with my brother. I've floated with my wife. I've floated with my mom. I've floated just by myself several times in a canoe, just just going through this beautiful scenery. I've floated with Pastor Billy. He's back there telling me that. That's right. (laughs) And I've done it so many times that I know that river like the back of my hand. I, I, I mean, I feel like in my pride, I could probably do it in the pitch dark because I know every single turn. I know every rock. I, I know every railroad trestle. What? You see, there's these bridges, okay, a railroad bridge that cross over the river on two different occasions, okay? And that you you have to know how to navigate around these concrete sort of buttress things that hold up the railroad. Well, my friend Donald and I were gonna float the trough again. And so um, we were planning to do it on this particular weekend and wouldn't you know it, it's very fitting today. It had been raining for about two or three days. So I talked to Donald. I said, hey man, how's the river? He said, and this is how we would say, well, it's up and running brown. It's up and running brown. I said, that sounds perfect. Let's do it. There you go. So we jumped into the river, and away we went. I'm, a, I'm good. I'm good. I know this. I can do this with my eyes closed, right? Well, you know where this story is going. Let me tell you, by the end of the day, my boat was gone. All my fishing equipment, gone. My motor, gone. My battery, gone. Every single piece of equipment that I owned on the bottom of the river. Here's what happened. You've got to navigate around this concrete buttress. The river's running up and brown, right? And I'm like, Donald, man, relax. I got this, I got this. And guess what? I didn't have it. We wrapped the boat around. Have you ever seen a boat, a canoe, one of those like poly-type material boats wrapped around a concrete pillar? I have. Mine, mine that day. In my familiarity, I thought it was fine. Scripture's going to speak to us about that regarding the Lord's table. Jesus shared, Jesus taught, and Jesus modeled two ordinances, two things that we are to do in our celebrating of what Christ has done. Can you name them in your mind? They are baptism and what we often call communion. And we're gonna talk about that today and we're gonna be warned about it. And really the warning is about running into worship without reflecting on Jesus. So open up your Bible with me. We're gonna be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now it might surprise you that I'm going to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You might say, why don't you go to Matthew, Mark, or Luke, or even John alludes to it. Well, the reason why I'm going to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is because it contains in it a great warning for us. But I also want to tell you something about 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You may not realize this, but 1 Corinthians was written before the Gospels. I mean, you open up your Bible and Matthew's first, so you think, well, it must have been written first, right? But well, that's not the way it works. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written after 1 Corinthians. Interesting especially once you see what we're going to read in just a moment. We're going to see the night that Jesus was betrayed depicted for us in scripture. As the spirit of God as the son of God communicated this to the apostle Paul with what we are to celebrate and understand about what Jesus did. So jump with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 to number 23. And let's hear the word of God. Paul writes, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. So this is big news, folks. Paul's saying, God, Jesus, told me this. He told me this, and now I'm gonna tell you. I believe that Paul was, this information was shared with Paul. He talks about in Galatians when he was taught by Jesus And now he's gonna deliver it to this church in Corinth. And it's been contained now in the word of God, the very inspired word of God. And here we are 2,000 years later and we are reading it about this event. For what I received from the Lord, for what I received from the Lord, what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And we had given thanks He broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup and after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is what Jesus is really commanding us to do. He is commanding us to worship him through the celebration of communion, it's called the Lord's table, it's called the, the love feast in Jude chapter 12. I know it seems kind of strange to us, but that's what it's referred to in Jude. It's called the breaking of bread in Acts chapter two. It's this celebration, and we are commanded here to do it. And the reason why Jesus commands us to do it is because he knows us very well. You know, I'm finding in my getting older age, I I forget things. Do you struggle with it? Is it just me? I mean, just last night I was talking to somebody and and they told me something and I'd forgotten the conversation and I'm like, listen, I'm sorry. You need to tell me things over and over and over again. I just forget things. Honestly, it scares me sometimes because there's been a lot of family members in my life who had Alzheimer's and so forth and I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, what does this mean? But we forget things And so Jesus here is saying, do this so you remember him so we don't forget what Christ did and what he did for all. So let's look at this passage and and understand what's going on. We're going to jump back to verse number 17 and understand what all is happening here. The first thing I want us to see is that the Lord rejects worthless worship. You hear that? The Lord rejects worthless worship. So before we go any further, before we go to the corners of the room, before we get our bread and juice, we better look around. We better look around. Here's what I mean. Verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, Paul says, Paul has been answering questions that the Corinthian church ask him. And at times he says, you're doing this good. Good job. At times he says, you're not doing so great here. But here he says, I do not commend you. Paul is calling out the Corinth church because they got a problem. And I want us to see the problem because I fear that maybe we have the same issue. I don't commend you, he says. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. You see what the Apostle Paul just said? You are better off not even coming to church is what he's saying. Because of the problem he's going to describe, you'd be better off to sleep in. Wow. That don't sound like the Apostle Paul. That doesn't sound like, lo, what is what's he saying? You see, there is a worship that is Worthless. There is an approaching of God. There is a way we can come to God that he does not accept. Now let's see how he describes it. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. This word divisions was a problem in the Corinth church. It, it's, it's called, it's, it's referred to as a faction. It's a disagreement. It's a schism. There is a division among the body. There is a problem in the church. And it's that this person doesn't like this person. It's that this person has offended that person. And so there's a division there. There's a division. Now Now don't Don't take us off the hook by thinking that this is only like, okay, this side versus that side. We're good because we don't divide into two big groups. No, no. At times, Paul calls out churches because there's a division among two. Among two. So look around, folks. Look around. Are there people in this room? Are there believers in your life that you are divided against them? There's a faction. There's a schism. There's an offense between you and them. God says, you're better off to be at home. Wow. Relationships matter. Relationships matter. Now let's get a little more detail about what's going on here. He says, but there must be factions among you. Verse number 19. I I find that really interesting. There must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Hmm. Now, I find that really, really interesting that he says there's got to be some struggle. There's got to be. You know why? Because somebody's wrong. That's what he's saying. Someone is wrong. And so when there's this battle that comes, what's going to happen is the, the, the spiritually mature people the people who know Christ and who love Christ and He's working in their lives, it will be revealed. It will be revealed. So you bump into somebody, okay, in relationship, and there's a there's a there's a there's a there's a disagreement. There's an argument. There's friction. There's faction. Watch. Watch. The one who's genuine. Will be revealed. Not the one who's right. I didn't say that. Not the one who's correct in this matter. No. The spiritual, mature individual will be revealed. Because in that moment, you are more important than being right. Now, we're not dividing over doctrinal issues. We're not dividing over the deity of Christ or the inspiration of scripture. Let's go on and see what it is. When you come together, Paul says in verse 20, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Can you imagine thinking you're doing communion and you're not? You're not not doing the Lord's Supper. What you're doing here, I reject, God is saying, and I'm not even gonna call it the Lord's Supper. I wanna know what they're doing wrong. Let's keep going. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Let's understand what's going on, okay? If you go back to Acts chapter 2, verses number 42 and 46, you don't have to turn here. Let me tell you about them. It says that the believers met together in Acts chapter 2 daily. They met together daily. And they met together for really four primary reasons. It says they met together to hear the apostles' teaching, for fellowship, for prayer, and for the breaking of bread. And they did this, verse 46, chapter 2, daily. So every single day, the believers would come together. 3,000 people came to Christ, and now they all get together, and they celebrate communion. They break bread together and remember the cross. They remember, they remember the commonness of the cross. So they're there, 3,000 of them, slave, free, black, white, man, woman. And they're all now together, rich, poor, and they're all there celebrating what Christ did every single day. Wow. And what happened as you, as you read through the book of Acts is it, 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 wasn't just, it wasn't just a little wafer and a glass of juice, it was actually a meal. They would have a meal together. And in the Jewish custom of the day, this is what would occur. You come to my house. We all sit down at the table. I'm the owner of this home. I'm, I, I, you've come at my invitation. And you're all sitting around here. What do we do? When do we start eating? Do, do they, you know, Are they going to pray? Are they going to sing a song? Are they, are they going to slap high five? What are they going to do? The symbol that it's time to eat is me. as the host. You've come to my house. I stand up. I take the loaf of bread. And I break it. And that means... Let's eat together. And Jesus said, remember my body. Remember my body. That took on this body for you. But what the Corinth church started to do is now they come together. Large groups of people. Likely they're in homes. People who are well-to-do. They've got a nice home. And they come together, and those that have are given the best seats. Those that have are given the full plate. Those that have are given the full glass. Come, important person. Sit with me, have a big meal, have a tall glass of wine. Come, you important people. But you poor, you without, you that don't really count, ah, you you wait outside. The real sin that was brought into the church was being a respecter of person. It was assigning other people value. Primarily in this time, it was assigning people value by their wealth. And God said, that's worthless worship. It's worthless. It's worthless. The first thing I want us to see about communion, about the Lord's table, and it is, it's found in this bread image, is that we are all equal in Christ. You don't have more of the Spirit than you. You don't have more of God than her. We're all equal in Christ because we're all equally sinners needing salvation when he saved us. And so when we start into like this, you know, system of saying you're more important or you're less important, we are now violating the very cross of Christ. Jesus died for the wicked sinner. He died for the poor man. He died for the desperate woman. He died for the nice moral person who seemed like a pretty good guy or gal. The wealthy, the important people, the powerful people, they all needed Christ. Look what Paul says there in verse number 22. He says, what's going on in your heart? Do you despise the church of God? Do you? And humiliate those who have nothing. When we come into worship with this division over our wealth, over our power, over our importance what, what the spirit of God is saying is you are practicing hate of God and hate of his people folks I want to challenge you I want to challenge you that Division between us over anything, over race, over wealth, over class, over gender, division over any of these things is hatred of God and hatred of people. Avoid it. Ask God to rid your heart of it. It's division. Is division, and it's a sign of a spiritual sickness. When you're divided against other people, it means you're sick. You have a spiritual sickness. You've gone to the doctor. He checks your forehead. You're burning up with fever. We've got to do something. And it doesn't just have to be big and global. It can be with somebody in this room. If you are divided against somebody... It is a sign of spiritual sickness. Is there a woman in this room that you don't talk to anymore? You're sick spiritually. You gotta have it fixed by God. Is there a family that you avoid? Is there a situation that somebody is in? They work someplace different than me. They go to a different school than I do. And I'm divided from them. I don't talk to them. I don't really like them. They don't like me, so we stay away from one another. That is a spiritual sickness. You gotta, you gotta let God's spirit fix that. We're being warned here. It is not, that is worthless worship. And as I thought about it, I thought there's division by neglect. There's just division by neglect. It's like you're unaware of it, okay? Division by neglect. I'm just unaware. Listen, be aware Be aware, look look around you. There's division by choice. Some people will say to me, I'm just a shy person. Listen, there was nobody shyer than me. I know you don't believe that, but I'm telling you it's the truth. And let me give you a little, fellow shy person, let me tell you what shyness is. And I have the authority to speak on this. Shyness is selfishness. That's what it is. I don't want to, I don't want to talk. I'd, I'd rather just be left alone. You are divided, folks. And that is not the New Testament picture of a body. There's a division of the offended. You don't know, Lowell. I've had people be wrong to me. Okay. Line up your list with Jesus. Let's see how it really plays out, right? There's a division of the offended. And it's wrong. Scripture says that if somebody has offended you, before you go to that table, you're supposed to be going to find them. And I've done that. I've I've called people who offended me a long time ago. and said, hey, this is Lowell. This one will let you know. You offended me six years ago. You really hurt my feelings. Okay, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I've done it. There's also the division of the offender, Maybe you're the offender. Scripture says that you are to go find the one that you offended before you bring your offering to the Lord. The truth is you two should meet each other in the middle if you're in Christ. She should be finding you, you should be finding her, and you meet in the middle, not to establish who's right or wrong, you leave that in God's hands to say, I love you, you are more important than my need to be right. Can we put this in God's hands? When we don't do this, it's worthless worship. All right. Let's try to keep going. Man, I didn't mean to spend that long on 17 to 21. 22, that is. Let's get to 23, okay? Paul says for I receive for for I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you and now we're going to we're going to look back at the work of Christ I, I this is a pattern that God gives he gave the Jews the Passover as they looked back on their deliverance from Egypt 400 years under slavery. And God gave them the celebration of Passover so they could celebrate a temporal, physical release from bondage. And now Jesus takes that Passover festival. He takes, over, takes that Passover celebration and he says, this isn't a physical freedom. This isn't a temporary freedom. This is an eternal, spiritual freedom from sin. Oh, it's so much to celebrate. We get fascinated with the Jewish Passover, and it's kind of cool, historically, to look at, but it's only a shadow. It's only a foreshadow. That's like wondering at the shadow. Don't look at the shadow. Look at the sun. So Jesus here takes that Passover, and he infuses it now with him. With him. And it's a celebration. He says, I received the Lord, okay, on the night he was betrayed. I find it so interesting that the Spirit of God wanted to remind us that Jesus was betrayed that very night. It's, it's easy to think horrible thoughts about Judas, but you know what? He's betrayed by all of his disciples. They all turned their back on him. Jesus came to his own, his own received not. But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to be called children of God. He knows what it is to be rejected. And then we get to his sacrifice. Verse 24. When he had given thanks, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Now, if you're holding a New King James or a King James version, it very likely, it does say, which is broken for you. And listen, that is not in the reliable manuscripts. The word broken is not part of the Greek New Testament. Jesus' body was never broken. John, verse, John chapter 19, verse 33 and 36 his body was not broken. They came, they, were gonna, they wanted to hurry up the process of crucifixion, and that's very easy to do. All you gotta do is snap a man's bones and his legs because he's pushing against the nail in his feet. So you take a big club and you smash his bones, you smash his legs here, and you totally disengage his, his bone structure. He can no longer push against the nail to fill his lungs with air anymore, and he suffocates in a matter of moments. In, in just a few minutes, you're dead. Because you cannot fill your lungs with air. They came to Jesus, the Roman soldiers did, the professional executioners. They did this all day, every day for a living. When I was an algebra teacher, I told kids all the time, they'd be like, Mr. McDonald, how can you solve this equation? So you gotta understand. I do this all day, every single day. There is no equation I can't solve. The Roman soldiers did this all day. Every single day they came to Jesus and he was dead. They said he didn't break his legs. Jesus didn't say this is my body which is broken for you. That had been a violation of Psalm 34. That had been a violation of messianic prophecies. He didn't say that. He said this is my body for you. Plural, you. This is the majesty and the wonder of the incarnation. When we celebrate communion, when you take that piece of bread and you hold it in your hands, it's a reminder of the incarnation that Jesus became a man. That in John chapter 6, he said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders, You must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they said, This man is crazy. Does he wants to be a cannibal. What is he talking about? He's saying, You've got to receive me like you do food, like you do water. You've got to receive me. This is no knowledge of Jesus. This is a reception of Jesus. The body for you. For you. That's his love for us. The wonder of the incarnation. It didn't end at the resurrection. Jesus became a man. He took on flesh and remains a man today. That is love. The eternal God of the universe in eternity past was a spirit God. And he took on flesh so he could die for us. This is my body for you do this in remembrance of me hold the bread in your hand and remember the flesh of Jesus in the Passover feast there were four cups of wine that the host would direct the individuals to consume By the way, this is often done in homes. Here's here's how I've been convicted by this this week. I'll just tell you. Communion isn't just celebrated here. It's not just celebrated at church. You may say, whoa, I missed communion last week. Oh, that's four months without communion. Celebrated in your home. Celebrated in your home. They did. The early church did. The Passover feast has happened in a home. You don't need me there to bless the elements. They don't become anything. They're bread. They're they're juice. They're not even wine. It's bread and juice. And I thought, Lord, why didn't I celebrate this with my family? I can fix that. I can fix that. That's easy. I can fix that, Lord. Thank you. See, I neglected it. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, Jesus went on. At the third cup, by the way, I got distracted there. Okay, three, four cups of wine, all right? At the third one was was remembering the redemption of of the people of Israel. It was remembering that this lamb's blood was shed to cover sin. Not to take it away, but to cover. so now Jesus takes the third cup. After, after he gave thanks, after supper, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The bread was his incarnation. The, the, the juice or the wine or, or the drink, whatever it is, it's his offer of forgiveness forever. It's his offer of forgiveness forever. It's not just the shedding of some lamb's blood to cover my sin for the last year so I can, so God doesn't kill me. That's not what it is. It's the forgiveness of Christ's blood forever. It can never be taken away. It can never perish. It can never spoil. When you're in Christ, His blood has been shed, His eternal blood. The Lamb of God, only He is worthy to shed blood that brings us that kind of forgiveness without the shedding of blood. There can be no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of the perfect one's blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. Jesus said, "Take this cup. There's nothing magical that happens. It doesn't become blood. It doesn't become the Jesus' blood. Jesus' blood doesn't hover over it and under it and through it, all that kind of stuff. No, it's a remembrance, it's a memorial. Jesus is holding the cup in his hand he says do this in remembrance of me it didn't magically become his blood his blood's in him don't let Roman Catholicism mess with your mind on this it's a memorial like the Passover and what we're remembering is his blood shed for you imagine the holy God of the universe, storing up his wrath. That's what Romans 3 says. Romans 3, 26 says that God was storing up his wrath. A great big vault filled with the wrath of God over sin. And finally at the cross, at the, at the key climax of all human and divine history, God unleashed his wrath on his son. For you. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. So the Lord urges us to proclaim and look forward. I love this. Look what he's saying. You, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He's coming again. He's coming. Jesus in all of his majesty is coming. The lion is coming. He's coming again, folks. He shed his blood the first time he came. The second time he's coming, he's coming as a reigning king. And he's going to come. And until then, we proclaim, we herald, we preach his death. And then lastly, not only are we looking around, not only are we looking back, not only are we looking forward, but we need to look in. Just, let's just, I'm really gonna just almost read this. and let, let the Lord deal with you. Verse number 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Unworthy means it does not align with its, its, its intended intent. So you're not, you're not living out this love. You're not, you're not remembering who Christ is. You're not remembering his shed blood. You're just going through the motions. It's just familiarity. I'm just doing it because I always do it. I get up, I walk over there, I bring, come back. Take, Lowell says drink it, we drink it. Okay, let's go home, time for lunch. One of my children, I remember when they we had a communion service one time and and they were too young, we didn't let them come in. We said, No, you're not ready to do that, and they started crying. You know why? Because they wanted to have the snack. Now that's little children, that's that's a small child. But I wonder, do we look at it with that kind of an unworthy attention? Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Your translation may say, fallen asleep. And that's what it means. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. You see, that does not mean we'll all wait, we'll wait till everyone is served. That's not what it means. It means I, we will wait until we are right, is what it means. It means we will wait until everyone is served, yes. We will wait till, till there is no respecter of persons. We will wait until all offenses have been dealt with. We will wait until I'm right with God. So what the Lord is inviting us to do what he's inviting us to do is to come to him with clean hands and worship him the way that he invited us to, the way that he instructed us to, the way that he modeled for us and love one another and love him as we worship. So I'm gonna ask our praise team to come up here. What I want us to do first before we celebrate communion I want us to worship the Lord. And here's why. I want you to do business with God. Centerpoint Bible Church, I love you. I'm, I'm so glad you're here. But if there is sin in your life today, unrepentant sin towards somebody here or towards somebody somewhere else, you'd have been better off to stay at home. So here's what you need to do not leave. Make that right with God. As we sing this song, you talk to the Lord in your heart. God says this, if we we confess our sins, he is faithful. He is faithful and just. And will forgive us our sins. And he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the promise God makes. So turn to Christ and be made right with him. And then when we celebrate together, it'll be a great time of celebration.